0: Tonight on the show, we have a lady that is a renowned relationship expert. Having worked as an advice columnist, broadcaster, consultant, and coach, our guest tonight has certainly become one of the most recognizable and trustworthy authorities on the topic of love and sexuality. Her works include 22 written books on love and sex, which have been published in 30 countries, and 21 languages. She has partnered with enormous organizations that include Relate and the Family Planning Association and has also become a resident psychologist for the Sexual Advice Association. On top of this, has even co-presented Sex in the City and was named UK Dating Expert of the Year in 2015 at the UK Dating Awards. Susan Quilliam, welcome to the Freedom Pact to be here. Oh, we're so excited for it. Susan, could you just give a bit of a background into your your experience in the field, how you got started in it, and also how you flourished to become so so hugely successful in this area?
1: Well, looking back, I reckon I was interested in people and relationships probably when I was about two or three I was always asking people questions and wanting to chat to people and then went to university into psychology and then went into teaching which gave me a lot of skills around working with people and got me even more interested in relationships You know, I was teaching in an F.E. college and relationships, it was hormone central, so relationships were happening all around me, being broken and I was seeing people falling in love and it was so lovely and so sweet and so heartbreaking. After that, uh, I trained as a counsellor and started focusing my professional energies, as you just said, into coaching, into writing into my Agony aunt columns, and into consulting with various organisations. And I have to say, it's my dream job. It really, really is.
0: That's so beautiful to hear. What do you think about dating in the modern society?
1: Oh, I think it's so much more difficult than it ever was. Uh, You know, on the the one hand, we have more opportunity. Because, you know, on the one hand, we can log on, we can use apps, we can use Websites. there are matchmakers out there, there are dating agencies. And so from that point of view, it should be really easy to find a partner to, to date. The problem is that for the first time in, well, certainly British history, we have a situation where rather than partner for life in your 20s, you know, my mum and dad met in their 20s, and you know they're no longer with us but they were together for the rest of their lives nowadays we have five dating phases so you know teenage years first love twenties get serious thirties settle down maybe start a family forties start having doubts and maybe divorce and then the later life relationships so instead of looking for one partner We're looking for five or more. I mean, many people have other relationships, other more casual relationships. So we're looking for more relationships. We're having more broken hearts because we have more breakups. And in a society where we move around a lot, you know, we're not going to marry the boy next door or the girl next door. It can be even more difficult than it's ever been.
0: I think I really resonate to what you just said, but there are a lot where with dating apps like tinder match.com dating really has become where it's almost like now people have too many options where where before for a guy they would meet a a lady they'd ask for a number they'd go out on a date and then you know and then he'd be so excited to see her the following week and he'd have the rush of the rush of adrenaline whenever they spoke and that would how that was how a relationship formed but it seems like now that you know, he, the guy goes out on a date on a Friday and then the next on a Saturday and it's just a constant barrage of options. What do you think about that in terms of relationship satisfaction compared to how it was, say, 40 or 50 years ago?
1: Um, I think that our expectations nowadays are hugely high. Um, I mean, not only because we're taught to expect more, but also because we have a society where we can have more you know if we don't like the person we're with we can swipe and maybe even the same evening we can find somebody to go out with and you know have a drink with and have a meal with and maybe even go home with so there's more opportunity but I think you've made a very very good point in saying that It's not that there's too much opportunity, but it can be that we lack the excitement and we have so much choice that if it doesn't work, we just move on to the next person. And I think that is dangerous, not only because we have that choice, but because the people we're dating have that choice. So if we're not perfect for them, they can swipe and move on to another person.
0: Mm. I've actually had this conversation with, with various people and whenever I mention in regards to the choices, the common question which I always get asked is Is it not better, you know, isn't it better to have too many choices or too many options than too little? What do you think about that? Oh,
1: I'm going to tell you about jam. Why am I going to tell you about jam? I'm going to tell you about jam because it's a very, very famous experiment. Uh, where they had a shopping mall in America. This was done by one of the universities in America. And at one end of the uh, shopping mall, you had a stall selling six jams. So people could come up, they could look at the six jams, they could maybe taste them, then they could buy. At the other end of the mall, you had a stall with 24 jams. People could come up, they could taste, they could buy. Now, you would think that the store with 24 jams sold more, because there's more to appeal to people, right? Not at all. The store with 24 jams actually sold less, because people mm. had so much choice that they got confused, they didn't really know how to decide, they got a bit baffled, and they just turned away and went to you know another shop completely. So I'm not saying that the choice we have should be go out, meet one person, marry them, although some people do, and some cultures are set up to support that and really make it work, but I think that too much choice can confuse us, and then we end up just getting really, really demoralised, rejecting and being rejected, and yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's all that good an idea.
2: Would there be in such an accessibility to dating and how easier it is it at our fingertips? It's on our phones. Has that had a knock-on effect in terms of sustainability in relationships and how long they typically last in the modern age?
1: Well, I mean, it's clear that relationships don't last quite as long as they did in, for example, my parents' time. Uh, the divorce rate is leveling off, and the ability to stay together is improving I mean I'm seeing that in my clients people are very aware now that they want to make it work but it's very very easy I I was I was was in a phone shop the other day um, having my phone rescued from having got it wet let's not go there about how it got wet but (laughs) I was having my phone (laughs) I was having my phone mended and the guy was writing out my details. And, and he said, oh, and what do you do for a living? I said, oh, I'm a relationship coach. And this was the guy in his late 20s. And he said, oh, I could really do with you. Um, I'm going through a divorce. And I asked him when he got married. Remember, this is early 2019. He'd got married last August. And so the marriage had lasted four or five months. Uh, I'm not saying that he should have hung on in there it may have been an absolutely toxic relationship Mm. but I think it is easier to step out now and I think people are only just learning that it is entirely possible to turn a relationship around if it's not what you want I mean in a few cases obviously not and we're not talking about abusive relationships Mm -hmm. but once the shine wears off it is perfectly possible to get that shine back and have a lifelong happy relationship.
0: That's really interesting, and marriage is definitely something which we will uh, come on to on this. But I think that if we just talk through uh, relationships in like a chronological order, would you have any tips for, say, the, the person out there looking to find the right partner?
1: Oh, you're going to like this. I would say stop looking for the right partner and start looking for the right partner partnership because if you define the partner you're going to do what's on all the websites, how tall how small, you know blonde or brunette, uh, what educational background, how much are they earning and actually although some of those may be attractive what you're really looking for when you're looking for a partner is dynamic the thing that happens when the two of you get together And if you start looking for he's got to be or she's got to be this, this and this, you completely miss the magic that goes, well, you know, he doesn't look a bit like or she doesn't look a bit like I wanted. And on the surface, we don't click, but oh, makes me so happy. When we're together, it really works. So I encourage my clients, and when I'm teaching courses, this is what I teach, to write down what you want from a partnership rather than a partner, you know, think through how do you want to spend your day, you know, how do you want uh, to respond as a couple when there's, say, a crisis, because there will be crisis, how do you want to respond as a couple when something really good happens, and then take those realisations and start looking and start measuring situations and relationships and dynamics against am i getting what i want in this partnership rather than how much how tall how high how this or how that when you're judging a partner
0: i think that's really interesting so what you're saying is to say maybe put the physical and uh, emotional type characteristics that you're looking for to one side and almost seeing how well you would work in a partnership is that where i'm what i'm understanding
1: you've got it exactly and you've highlighted something really important which is the people you meet are going to be different when they're with you as opposed to when they're with another potential partner you know two it's like two chemicals you know two chemicals that mix are going to have a different chemistry when they mix with others so you know that the guy who gets very sullen or the woman who, you know, gets very giggly with one person, when they're relating to you, they could be just what you want. Um, it is about the dynamic. It's about what happens between you much more than who you are individually.
0: This is um, quite a, a, a question from left field by you. but it's also one which, i've spoken to many friends about and this relates to when two people they first meet each other and then they uh and then really without giving the the relationship a chance to flourish they straight away just decide to hook up so this could be after say a first date or even on a night out what do you think about uh say sleeping together straight away rather than waiting
1: not against it, and in certain situations, it's an absolutely brilliant thing to do mm. if you want pleasure, if you want physical connection. Um, you know, very often people leave a relationship and they don't want another serious relationship for a while. And as long as both people know that this is what's happening, there's everything to say about you know, a hookup, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'm not against it. But I think where people go wrong or can go wrong is if they're looking for a long-term partnership and sex happens on the first night, two things can go wrong. Firstly, the other person may think that this is just a hook-up and that you're not looking for anything serious. And then one or both of you gets hurt when it doesn't carry on. And secondly, another reason why it can get your heart broken one of the reasons sex is so good is that it bonds you. Mm. Um, Okay, some people are less bonded with sex than others are, but the fact of getting together and sharing pleasure and, you know, sharing body fluids, um, nature intends that to make you want to at least be close to this person. And therefore, sleeping with somebody and then automatically walking away, it can leave you with... I don't know, a sort of an abandonment thing, even if you don't realise it. And I get a lot of people, men and women, coming to me saying, well, you know, I just fell totally in love with her or him, uh, but he or she didn't think there was a bond. But now I can't forget them. Uh, not a way to spend your life. So great in some circumstances, not so good in others.
0: Yeah, this is also something which which has been said to me. It's where, especially female friends have said this, where they have hooked up with a guy, you know, the oxytocin gets released and, and, you know, they have the immediate rush from the chemicals. And I also think that as human beings, it's a lot easier to go back to say what we know rather than to step into the uncertainty. So they will have a bias to try to make things work. I wonder what you think about um, or what your tips would be for say someone that maybe they, they they've been overrun with emotions that they, they want to start fresh what would you say to that person or what tips could you give them to say him back into the dating world if their confidence has been crushed
1: mm-hmm. um, a number of things come to mind the first one is I have a, a motto which is make friends before you make love um there's a real rushing going to bed with a stranger. Of course there is. But if you're looking for a more reliable relationship or something that's going to have a deeper bond, spend a little bit of time getting to know. know, Reintroduce that very old-fashioned idea of dating and courtship and going for supper and going for a walk and just get to know that person and start judging them and judging the dynamic, more importantly, on would I want to wake up to this every morning? And if you really wouldn't want to wake up to it every morning, and you choose to wake up to it one morning, when you've had a great night of passion, that will put it in a context of, okay, you know, I've had a great one-night stand, and... No, I I know that I'm not going to get bonded to this person. The the second answer, which is around getting your confidence back, is really around drawing a line in the sand. You know, saying that what's happened in the past is mainly useful because you learn lessons. And I try to encourage my clients to learn lessons that are positive, optimistic, self-affirming, um, you know, not angry, not blamey, not self-angry, not self-blamy, so they they're going on to the next dating experience with I you could call it a presumption of innocence, mm-hmm. you know, presuming that the next person that they meet may not be the one, but they've got good intentions, but combining that, if you like, with a healthy, uh, I don't know, mind detector. You know, hold on a minute, uh, is this the right relationship for me? Mm. And what I find is that the more people, it's not an analysis, but the more people are willing to say, I'm going to ask if this is the right relationship and then I'm going to make my decisions on that, uh, the better they get on when they go back into dating again.
0: That's that's a great point you made there. I wonder what you think in regards to, say, maybe what what credence do you place on a first date because just speaking for myself personally i'm not really a fan of say uh going for drinks or doing you know anything mundane like i i personally i wouldn't really like to go for a cup of coffee you know like i think like for me like i like to say go outside or maybe go into like the outdoors or do something fun Because at least, like, if I don't like the girl, then I've had a good time, (laughs) you know. So uh, maybe what do you think about that? And also, what would your tips be for, say, having a good first date?
1: Um, I'm with you. I always suggest that a date in the early going revolves around an activity, so that if you have that awful moment when you, I mean, particularly if you've met online, you've, you've never actually met them, you might have Skyped, you might have FaceTimed or whatever, but if you've never actually met the person, there can be that moment where, you know, you walk towards them and your heart sinks and you think, I'm sure they're really nice, but no, uh, I, I so couldn't, I really couldn't. So... What do you do after that? Well, it's going to be quite embarrassing if what you're doing after that is you've booked a a four-hour tasting menu at a romantic restaurant Mm. and you're trying to find things to say to each other. Mm. So I'm completely with you, an activity, a walk. um, (laughs) I, I was charmed at one point by hearing that one of my clients, a female, had been invited to a football match as her first date Uh, and she actually liked football and they had a great time and luckily the team they were supporting won Um, I don't think that would go down well if you didn't like football I personally got the point because I do Mm. Uh, but yeah some sort of activity something that you can interact about if the if the dynamic isn't going too well and something where you can learn about each other you know you're, you're you know, going to a film, going to a play, um, going around an exhibition, going, going for a walk in the countryside. You're learning about that person and they're learning about you, which allows you to be starting to make better
0: decisions. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I wonder what you could say. There's this common term, I think, in the dating world. I think we all know it, it's called ghosting, where, you know, after a first date or something, or maybe after we've hooked up a couple of times, a person will just disappear. What would you say to say the person that has gone out on a first date with someone and maybe it hasn't gone as planned or maybe they've maybe perhaps seen some red flags there? Would you say that it's best to maybe sieve them out over time or to just maybe have an honest conversation and say, look, I just don't think that you're right right romantically for me, but maybe we could become friends?
1: Okay, so the first thing to consider is how convinced are you that this won't work. If it's 50-50, I often suggest going on a second date because it's a bit like going for a second interview, uh, which it is in many ways. You will both behave differently. You will be both be more relaxed. But if you know on a first date that it's 90% no, or if after the second date you're still not convinced... Um, I think it's fair to knock it on the head there, because as I was saying earlier, if you get bonded, if you start to get, you know, really hooked into somebody, it's much more difficult to break up. As to whether you should ghost or not ghost, I very rarely tell my clients what to do, but I get very very cross with them if they ghost people. Um, I think it's rude. I think it comes from fear. I think it comes from, oh, I can't reject somebody or what will they think of me if I don't want to see them. But it's totally socially incompetent. It's really easy to text or phone or email and say something courteous like, I've really enjoyed the time I spent with you, but there's no chemistry for me. So I really hope you find the person who's right for you. I mean, it's what, 20 words? And, you know, press send. Uh, you know, it's not putting yourself out. And the person who's received that, uh, they may be disappointed, but it's not a wound. Whereas, uh, as you just said, uh, ghosting can be tricky. And I've had both men and women say, I need to know what happened. You know, I don't want to be ghosted. I don't want to be ignored. And just those few words to make a clear statement no blame it's just the chemistry but we're not going to see each other again it's cleaner it's clearer it's more courteous and it's a good look rather than a a rather nasty
2: look so if we were to flip the switch and talk about a first date going really well a second date going really well i think it's it's difficult to not um give you a hundred percent of the person straight away Make, make yourself available all the time and you want to spend as much time with that person instantly because you have that connection and in a, in a lot of experiences for me and people I know that can have quite a damaging effect instantly, do you think there's a problem with making yourself too available and diving into you know, somebody else and land them into your life too quickly and too frequently all of a sudden?
1: Yeah I think there can be um, I'm not a fan of treat them mean keep them clean, keen I think that if you do that, you're going to attract people who like partners, who are a bit mysterious and a bit available. They like the thrill of the chase. And if you do settle down to a stable, secure relationship, they're going to lose interest and they're going to wander off. So I I don't like, I don't advise playing hard to get. But I think rushing into something and saying, you know, we met on Friday, Um, you're the love of my life, I want to spend the rest of my life with you, so let's spend every um, waking hour together and moving up for a month. Um, The problem is that people reveal themselves slowly, and the person who's been absolutely gorgeous on a first date, maybe a little less gorgeous after you've spent four consecutive weekends with them, and... Then what do you do? By, by that time, you're so bonded, it's such a serious relationship. Even if you're not hurting the other person, you're going to be a bit wounded yourself and you're going to doubt yourself. You know, I thought this was the one, and I'll find out it's not, and what was I doing? So I would say take it slowly. Um, I'm not saying that a first date on a Friday couldn't be followed by a second date on a Monday and then a third date on a Thursday and a fourth date on a Saturday, uh, I am saying that just to leap either into bed or into, you know, a heart connection immediately doesn't give you a chance to find out who they are, doesn't give them a chance to find out who you are, and doesn't give either of you a chance to find out who you yourself will be when you're in that dynamic. So, yeah, slow and steady, I
0: would say. That's very interesting. And something that I notice, uh, just say, sort of moving just slightly past the date in senior, is yeah. I've known people, and I've been in situations as well, where the the initial chemistry is so great, and, you know, you just think, like, that they're the only person in the world. But then you, yeah. you maybe move forward, and then and once I think, like, you sort of exit that honeymoon phase, you sort of realise and you start noticing conscious things, and this is, this is something which I've been told as well. It, do you think that there are things which we can do to, to maybe keep that desire high throughout the period of the relationship?
1: So there's the bad news and the good news. The bad news is that that first wonderful high, and I'm a great fan of falling in love, I've done it many times, that first wonderful high has a sell-by date because that first wonderful high is Mother Nature programming you to want to make babies. And, And it's true even if you happen to be well past the point in life where you can make babies, it's that attraction of, you know, you're the one for me, I'm the one for you, let's get together, let's stay together, let's bond. The problem is that the hormones involved in that are pre-programmed to fade somewhere between six months and two years now I'm not saying that it's not possible to get them back and that's the good news and I'll talk about that in a minute but if you go into a very intense relationship and a year later two years later you think it doesn't feel the same as it did be very very careful that you're not just hitting a hormonal shift rather than a love shift uh, you know I, I have people writing to me in the agony column saying he's my best friend we have everything in common we have a wonderful time but I don't feel tingly now when he looks at me well no you won't actually because you're way past the tingle point and you're way past the point where mother nature goes oh, are we going to get together oh, I'm going to make it so intense I'm going to make it absolutely imperative that they get together and you're into the part where mother nature goes well you know what if it wasn't for contraceptive pills they'd be having babies by now so i just want them to have a really solid stable companionable relationship yeah with sex absolutely uh but the focus is slightly different it's not about getting together it's about staying together the good news is that That staying together, if it's properly handled, can turn around into something really deep, really supportive, really emotionally rewarding. Something where, my parents describe this to me, you look across the room at the other person and you know that nobody understands you the way they do. And that is really, really special. And yes, the passion can be reignited as well.
0: I read a, uh, a wonderful thing with uh, Esther Perel once where she talked about how love was everything which pulls you together and desire was everything which pulled you apart. Um, I wonder what you think in regards to maybe keeping the desire alive and how important it is to maintain our sense of independence as well as interdependence in a relationship.
1: things there. The first is that I too adore Esther Perel. Uh, (laughs) And secondly, you've made a wonderful distinction between independence and interdependence. Mm. One of my other favourite psychologists, uh, a Professor David Schnark, makes a distinction between the couples who are independent, the couples who are dependent, and what he says, and I agree, is the ideal... Couples who are interdependent. And he points out that if you are too close, too dependent, too enmeshed with each other, it's one of the main reasons why desire dies. You know, you're like brother and sister, you're, you're just too close emotionally. And there needs to be some sort of distinction. You both need to be separate individuals having your own life, but inextricably bonded together, I know I'm using the word bonded a lot, but it's important, bonded together by the fact that you're committed to each other, you love each other, uh, you're sharing a life, and you're sharing goals in life and values in life, so yes, um, I agree with Esther that love brings you together, desire, I think, if it fails between you, can drive you apart, and of course, if it fails between you, desire for other people can drive you apart so yeah she,
2: she's got it right we've touched on this already a, a small amount but i think especially for today's day and age and, and people of the age of 20 and in this new age of dating sustain sustaining a relationship has become a bit of a you know let's say a bit of a task over time and, and people aren't really sure what is it that keeps a relationship sustainable and what would be your tips on that
1: I will do my best to answer that question, but one of the things i found in coaching is that it's going to vary with each couple. Yeah. Um, but some of the guidelines that I offer and some of the problems that many couples meet are, okay, number one, making love dependent on whether the similarity and agreement And, you know, if you loved me, you would do what I want. If you loved me, you would think the way I do. And and this comes back to what we were just saying about dependence and, and interdependence and independence. So sustaining a relationship is hugely dependent on committing yourself to keeping the bond going so... You know not pulling away from your partner and refusing to put their good first or at least equal with yours but at the same time not being so caught up in being close that you can't get a bit of distance it it's sort of the, the same question as we just discussed but a variation on that but I, I would say that one of the problems I see in couples coming to me is that they are They are expecting to be the same and they are expecting to agree. And then my second point from that is that when they don't, they think the way to solve it is to get into arguments and conflicts and that they can make each other fulfil each other's needs by shouting louder. Uh, You know, this idea that if somebody speaks a foreign language, Uh, All you need to do is shout louder for them to understand you. I see an awful lot of that in my couples. Uh, And being in a relationship and having that bit of respect, having that bit of willingness to communicate, cliche, being willing to negotiate, cliche, being willing to calm down an argument and calm down a row. Those are the things that are going to keep you together in a healthy relationship. And those are the things that completely go out the window when you're on the point of breaking up.
2: Yeah, I noted what you said there about there being a healthiness in a slight amount of distance. And I think that's something that people struggle with a lot uh, at the moment, given the availability of texting. You, you know, you, you can speak to each other 24 hours a day. And most couples seem to do that. And I think that can have a negative effect. You know, having to speak to someone or being able to speak to someone all the time—is that a healthy level of communication, or you know, should you find time for yourself and maybe you know grow on your own rather than always together? Oh, I think that growing on your own, being
1: on your own, rather than always being together, is absolutely essential. Um, If you say that, okay, I'll I'll give you um, a metaphor from my own life. I dance Argentinian Tango. Now, I'm not saying that dancing Argentinian Tango is a prerequisite for a good relationship, but one of the first things we were taught was that in order to dance well in a couple, you had to have presence and connection. And presence means that you're actually okay on your own. You can literally, literally stand on your own two feet. But then you have to have a connection with your partner. You have to be willing, for example, to touch them, to get close. Uh, But as you dance, to respond to each other, but not in a way that you're leaning on each other. You know, if one of you is not stable on your own two feet for more than a a moment, then you both fall over and the dance is ruined. So if you take that as a metaphor, um, being able to step aside... I totally agree with you that the availability of communication now um, you know, text every hour or at every coffee break email each other all the time uh, I think one of the things that's doing is it's offsetting the fact that we don't have stable communities you know, we probably don't know our neighbours next door and we certainly don't need, once we're partnered we don't need our color we don't see our colleagues after work so there is a danger of getting or expecting to get all our needs met in our partnership and it often
0: puts just far too much strain on a partnership to the point where it breaks up. Susan one thing which I'd like to get your opinion on when because obviously we love sharing real practical type advice and you've given some some great Uh, Some great advice tonight. One thing which I'd like to talk about, which I think this is a mistake which I've made in the past, is when it comes to um, actually being inside a relationship, is I think that I've been guilty of specifically not setting time aside for, say, a partner. And they've sort of been pushed towards the end of my day. How important is it, do you think, in a long-term partnership to specifically set out time for the other person?
1: I think it's huge. Uh, There's a caveat on that, which is, if your partner and you agree the time spent together is not a measure of the quality of your relationship, And and there are some couples like that, they have other ways of measuring the success of their relationship, then fine, but for the vast majority of us, we measure our relationship and the rewards we're getting By the amount of quality time we get with our partner. So, another little story for you. Um, I once did a piece of work um, which involved 24 couples from every continent of the world, uh, 24 countries, in fact. So that you don't get too jealous, I I won't tell you that they flew us all to Venice for the week. Um, It was was great. It was a lovely, lovely piece of work to do, and I spent time with each of the 24 couples. They were self-defined as happy and successful, their ages varied from mid-20s to mid-40s, some of them had children, some of them didn't, and they came from a variety of cultures. Single one of them that didn't list in the top three problems in their relationship, and these are happy relationships, every single one of them in their top three problems said, we don't have enough quality time together. You know, work calls, friends call, children call, parents call, and the interesting thing there was they were letting it happen Because they loved each other, because they were secure with each other, because they were stable with each other. I don't know if this was what was happening for you, but what happens for a lot of people is you go, this is it, this is working, it's the right person, we know we're stable, we know we're secure, it's fine. Now I don't need to set aside time, because it's just rolling along absolutely fine. And it's a huge danger. I, When I work with couples, I try to get them to spend 20 minutes a day together, and that's in the context that the average couple, happy couples included, spend 20 minutes a week together in quality time. So to change from 20 minutes a week to 20 minutes a day will make a huge difference
0: do you think that there's a difference in terms of say the quality uh, between quality time and quantity of time because i again i can like relate this to myself where i've spent abundances of time and really felt as if i haven't made much progress and then say even as you said like just a matter of 20 minutes or say an hour or just an evening where where you get like a real a real sense of quality in the interaction and a presentness. What, what do you think that people should edge more towards? Is it, is it the quantity? Is it the quality? Is there a happy medium?
1: Um, I would go for variation. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea of 20 minutes a day because it's realistic even if you've got kids. Um, I also uh, suggest that people do do date nights a lot. I know it's a cliche, but particularly people with young kids, being able to go somewhere in the evening that's not home to have three or four hours to have a different sort of conversation than you can have in 20 minutes. And then the other thing, and I know it's not possible for a lot of people, is to have a weekend away, because that gives you 48 hours. It's a different experience. Um, not only can you have shall we say more relaxed and and timely sex but you can (laughs) have more relaxed and timely conversations like you can start a conversation on Friday night and you know talk about it a bit on Saturday and a bit on Sunday without any pressure and I have a lot of my couples say to me we're fine when we're on holiday it's that we can't seem to get on with each other when we're back or you know we're just too busy so I say get variety get variation you know a little bit each day maybe a little bit more time at the weekend find something you can do together like that walk you were talking about but then fairly regularly I mean I'm not going to say how many times because people's situations differ but take a weekend away Uh, or even if you can take longer than that away to get a different variety of experience with each other
0: one question which i've been pondering for for a while is what do you think about long distance relationships and if you are a fan what tips could you give to say making them work as as best as possible
1: And it was fitting me long ago that we didn't have the mobiles and the FaceTimes and the Skypes and the email that's true now. I, I think it's far easier to have a long-distance relationship now, although at the same time, it's far more possible that you may have to have one, you know, that you know one of you will be asked to move for work or, I mean, even to a different continent, or given online dating that you will fall in love with somebody who doesn't live on the same street as you, Um, and I think they're tricky. Um, I hear a lot that people drift apart, and I hear a lot that you get to know somebody who, uh, let's take classic scenario, you meet on holiday, you know, you're in Aberdeen, she's in Brighton, she's in Aberdeen, you're in Brighton, but you've got email, and that's brilliant, and you've got Skype, and you've got well, you know all the technology, and so you speak every night, and it's wonderful, and you have your first weekend together, and you lay on a lovely restaurant, or she buys some new underwear, or uh, you know she buys, you know both women buy new underwear, or both men buy new underwear, or whatever. Um, it's a weekend; you get to know each other over the course of a weekend, and then you've got three weeks apart, and so the end of the first year, and I've heard this a lot, you both go, well, it's just brilliant. Every moment is magic. Let's move in together. And one of you gets up the job and moves, and then you wonder why it's not working. And the reason it's not working is twofold. Firstly, that you only saw each other when the fairy dust was sprinkled over you at the weekend. And secondly, that living together 24 seven is you get to know things about each other that you couldn't possibly get to know at other times. So, I think you need to be careful, but I think it works better now than it has done at any time in history.
0: There's a lot of uh, food for thought for for our listeners. I think that, especially in my own life, probably the biggest, say, standoff point that I've had when it comes to relationships is communication. I think that I've been guilty of being very proud and... And maybe at times withdrawing, and these these are issues which you know I've had to I've had to accept, and and I think they're especially difficult to notice when one's inside a relationship to actually be able to like step back and acknowledge that. What would your tips be for healthy communication?
1: Um, you made such a good point there, and I I I really love talking to you too because you're so self-reflective and self-aware. Um. But what and what you said particularly about once you're inside a relationship, it's so true. Um, one or both parties go, well, yeah, we communicate all the time, we talk all the time, and then you look at what they're talking about, and it's you know whether to put the cat out or you know are the are the kids you know happy at school or whatever. Um, so first rule is make sure that what you're communicating about is what you really need to communicate you know there's functional communication and there's emotional communication there's communication about things and there's communication about values and thoughts and what's important to you and there's communicating to keep a distance and there's communicating to let your guard down and your barriers down and say look i really need you to hear this because it's really important to me Um, Again, I have a couple of suggestions, Um, the 20 minutes that I've been talking about where I advise a couple to set aside 20 minutes, I very often encourage them to talk one way. So one of you takes five minutes and you talk about what's important that day, and the other one simply listens, knowing that in a few minutes you're going to get some space and time to talk yourself. So this sort of turn-taking communication doesn't have to be all the time, doesn't have to be every day. But just falling back on that occasion, look, I'm here for you, I love you, and therefore I'm going to listen. And I'm not going to tell you that a similar thing happened to me. And I'm not going to tell you to pull yourself together. And I'm not going to tell you that it'll be fine. And I'm not going to tell you what you ought to do. I'm just going to listen, and I'm going to give you space and time. Um, I also teach my clients, and we can't go into it here, but I teach my clients how to negotiate. And that's a very special form of communication, where each of you are saying what you need, and then you're working together to communicate enough about that, that both of you are understanding to the point where you're going, oh, okay, let's find a solution together. So I would say the emotional... Communication that I was talking about, you know, the five minutes, and the negotiation communication. Um, those are two things that I, I think any couple could increase, improve, and learn from.
0: Mm. What you just said, Balea, in terms of the negotiation, I think that, like, that win-win mentality, where I think where both people can win, Whereas it typically in daily interactions or, you know, in sports or anything, it teaches a win-lose mentality or especially in relationships I've experienced where one person has to get their way, for the for the other person to lose, especially in arguments where it's black or white and there's no gray area. So I think that what you said, Belair, is, is a really great point. And, some, and going back to what I said, some of the other um, things which I specifically targeted was to make the nature of conflict rather lighthearted rather than it being so almost life or death i also tried to um avoid blaming with you uh, you pronouns and i started using um i pronouns like i feel or i think this like this is how i'm feeling rather than you make me feel like that do you agree with these (laughs)
1: to each Needs met um, and I I tell a story which is not mine but it comes from one of the uh, British Olympic rowing team uh, who tells the story of it was not the 2012 Olympic Games it was once ones before that and I can't remember where it was and they were desperately training and they weren't quite sure exactly you know did, should they eat this should they drink this should they sleep this way should they do And they boiled it down to one single motto. And that was, will it make the boat go faster? Mm. And all the interactions they had, all the actions they took, everything that they did was judged on, will it make the boat go faster? And what I say to my couples is, will it make the relationship go better? and adopting lose-lose or win-lose or shouting or blaming or all the things that you've quite rightly identified as unhelpful none of them will make the relationship go better and it's a really really useful thing to ask as you launch into a row is is this going to make the relationship go better is this going to make the boat go faster and if it's not
0: just stop i think that's a great point and And the last question which I'm going to ask in terms of this specific subject is something which I realized, and this may sound quite uh, Machiavellianistic, is that um, I've noticed that, say, when a partner of mine does something which I like or, say, something which I, I appreciate, say, in terms of, like, kindness or consideration to you know to like practice the idea of conditioning <laughs> you know where you like really say like like I love what you did but there, you know um like what do you think in terms of this because I think that from what I've experienced I think that and especially what you said earlier that we can get over time what we specifically want in a relationship and I think that telling someone like I just loved what you did, but I've noticed in my own experience that that's like a great way to, to and praising them is a great way for a, for a relationship to flourish.
1: Um, when you first fall in love, the most important thing is for the other person to be happy. Mm-hmm. And so if they do something nice and you're happy, that will be a huge motivation to do it more. So I completely agree with you. And the only slight tweak I'd make is that what a lot of couples end up doing is thinking that if somebody does something they don't like, the correct and the effective response is to give them a negative, you know, to dispraise them, to tell them they're getting it wrong. And interestingly... In conditioning theory, that's incorrect. So I don't think this is conditioning, but if we're looking at conditioning theory, the way to make somebody do something more is to praise it. The way to get somebody to do something not at all is to ignore it and the way to get somebody to do something more, even when you don't want them to, is to shout at them about it. So you can condition people into doing things more by punishing them, by saying, that was terrible, you know, how on earth can you do that? You're you're an awful person. And people will start doing it more just basically to show you. So if you're trying to reward a partner for what they're doing right, don't think that telling them that what they're doing wrong is going to unreward them and they'll do it less there's a strong likelihood that they'll just keep on doing it because the way conditioning works is people do more what you reward people do slightly less more what you punish and the way to stop them doing something is simply to ignore it and not comment on it and just take their attention elsewhere That might be a bit complicated of an explanation, but I'm picking up on your very good point and trying to tweak it slightly.
0: Yeah, I think that that's wonderful. And I also completely agree with what you say, that, that if a partner does something which we don't like, that never is it okay to, say, stonewall or to withdraw. And like I said, these are things which i have you know i've specifically worked on
2: yeah and i think we've done we've done a great job in making our way through the process of a relationship chronologically and naturally we'll reach that point now the end of relationships so i think that once you've been in a relationship for a while especially it's difficult to know when it's reached this end or if it's time to leave it if it's in your best interest if it's in their best interest and i think another thing is in in my case anyway I often find that even if you think a relationship has reached this end, it's it's no surprise that you care about that person so much that you're just afraid of hurting them. And so you may prolong something that you know isn't right just because you care about that person so much. So what I wanted to ask is, when do you actually know when it is time to leave a relationship for both parties' best interest?
1: It's a really difficult one and I get a lot of people asking me about that. Most of us are not cruel. Uh, We we don't want to hurt others. Uh, What I often say is, if you have given it due consideration, we're not talking about you know wake up on Saturday morning and decide, you know you're going to dump your partner. But if you've given it due consideration and you've really thought about it, and you've looked ahead and you're really feeling negative about the future and you have tried everything you know and that might include getting outside help when you get to that point it is more loving to end the relationship because if you don't the partner that you're leaving will never get a chance to be truly loved because you don't truly love them you've grown out of them or you've decided they're not for you Uh, don't condemn them to being with somebody who doesn't love them fully just because you're scared of what will happen if you don't.
0: That's a great point. I remember I read a quote that said, and I'm not sure who this is attributed to. If I find out, I'll leave her in the comments below. But it said something along the lines of, if you look at your partner and you don't feel blessed, then let them go. Because they're not your blessing to have, and I think that that's a beautiful um way, and maybe in in some ways apt. Not to say that people can't work through and maybe find dip find more ways to appreciate them, but but I think that in my experience that, uh, when I have, I think I I think that I've been like quite decisive in the past, and and I've just known like when it was time to end just based on maybe maybe a, an idea of look i'm I'm young I don't wanna maybe at this age in particular go through the difficult ghost after go through that torment of trying to maybe find out if I will appreciate them later i I think that what I have um been bad at is the actual uh when it actually comes down to breaking up with them <laughs> I think that i've been I've been guilty of say maybe. Naming a number of reasons, or on the flip side, maybe trying to be the hero and the villain at the same time. Right. What would you say is the best advice for when it actually comes down to ending a relationship, to 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 actually break it off? The conversation which needs to be had.
1: Um. Once again, I think this depends on who you are and who your partner, soon to be ex-partner, is. I think there are a number of ways. Uh, I know what doesn't work is pussyfooting and tiptoeing around it. You know, the sort of conversation which goes, are you all right? Yes, I'm fine, I'm just tired. Um, You know, your partner knows there's something wrong. Your partner knows that you've been thinking about this for a while and the news is not going to be good. But you're disrespecting them by going, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. So, no, I, I'm not saying be as brutal as, you know, facts, the dumping statement. I think that it is courteous to do it face-to-face, even though it's far more scary. Um, but, and after that, make it quick, make it clean, make it as functional as you can make it, and make sure they have people to support them and make sure you have people to support you. Um, It's very unlikely, even if you're doing the dumping, that you will, you know, just step out and go, oh, yeah, I'm fine, yeah, I I don't need to do any more. The temptation is to rush into another relationship, and that's very often a mistake. Uh, But if you can make sure that your ex-partner, now, your ex-partner has friends around, has family around who can support them while they variously cry and get angry or withdraw into their bedroom for long periods of time. I think that's a kind thing to do. The most unkind thing to do is to drag it out or say you're finishing and then change your mind and ask for them back.
2: Okay, so again, if, if we were to flip that and talk about it from the opposite perspective, so in my experience anyway, that I've experienced someone breaking up with me and... I. I'm not proud to admit it but my initial response probably very unhealthily was to make myself feel better by you know diving into other casual relationships straight away and thinking that's going to fix my problems that's going to get me over this person and try and stop thinking about them by focusing all my energy and attention on you know these other casual relationships and I'm not sure how healthy that is so what I wanted to get your take on was you know your tips for initially dealing with that really hard heartbreak that hits you at the start and how you can even look to, to moving on because what i did i didn't think was a very healthy way to approach it
1: um the hard heartbreak uh, there's been some research done where they did um brain scans and if you've been in a bonded relationship doesn't need to have been long term uh when you're recovering from that the same area of the brain is active as when you are going into cold turkey you're withdrawing from heroin addiction so be kind to yourself you're trying to recover from an addiction to a long term relationship Um, you know just the the bonding that I keep going on about and so it will hurt Um, I'm I'm not going to say that having casual relationships is always resulting you know that it you know it can get you over the initial pain. But it's a little bit like saying, well, I'll get myself over this heroin addiction by continuing to take heroin, Uh, except that it's not nearly as good heroin, and once I decide that I want to get over my heroin addiction, I'm going to stop taking it anyway. Um, Having casual relationships simply postpones the pain, and at some point if you then transition into a full-time relationship. I've had so many of my clients come back, you know, two, three years, and they've made wrong decisions because they're not over the breakup, or they've rushed from one breakup to another full-time relationship, and then have realized that it was, you know, it was unwise in some way. So I always recommend that whether or not you have casual relationships, a fairly long period of time I uh, can't tell you the exact period of time but I don't know, maybe three months for every year you've been together, of just being on your own, learning who, who you are now, you're on your own giving yourself a chance to, to recover and giving yourself a chance to find out you know, what are the lessons you've learned, because you will have learned stuff um, take time, allow yourself to be vulnerable Talk to people. Do a lot of crying. Uh, notice I'm not saying girls cry and boys shouldn't. And <laughs> um, do a lot of crying, or raging. Um, but don't rush into another relationship. Is my
0: main tip. You know, you've given Lewis and I so much, so much food for thought. You and in this episode, we we feel as if you've delivered so much great content. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Susan. This. This episode has, has ran well on for over an hour and we could speak to you all night, no no question about it. We can't thank you enough. We're gonna wrap this episode up by here. Uh where could our listeners find you, Susan? They can find me on SusanQilliam.com. We'll put we'll post a link down below for for, for Susan's uh, website and all the information about her. And we just wanna say a massive thank you from Lewis and I for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure.